0: You're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Good evening, good evening. Welcome, welcome. My name is Erin, and welcome to the third iteration of Kaleo Stories. I'm excited about this. It's probably one of my favorite things to do here at Kaleo. Uh, Kaleo Stories is a unique time of storytelling by people in our community as we simultaneously invite Jesus to help us pay attention to the story that's presently happening in our own life. Alexander Pierpoint says, everyone loves a good story. Whether it's hearing about a friend's life, reading a classic novel, or watching a cinematic adventure, there's something distinctly human about appreciating stories. It's interesting that whenever we read about Jesus being asked a question, he seldom gives a straight answer. Rather, he launches us into storytelling, speaking truth about lived experiences which cannot be denied, while also challenging the status quo and flipping people's preconceived paradigms on their heads. There's something to be said about that because Jesus chose stories. Not only to communicate points, but to appeal to more foundational things, our actual humanity. Tonight, we have stories being presented by women in our community. We'll hear stories about freedom, liberation, and how women have navigated their own journeys in the process. The beauty of a good story is that it draws out the beauty in us. Our focus is how the stories we tell make us who we are. So tonight, let's take a look at the stories that we are telling, the stories that make up our beloved community. And let's create space to absorb, ponder, and wonder in the mystery and the love of God and the art of storytelling. And now we'll continue on with our first story of the evening called She Freed Me by Camille Christensen. Welcome, Camille. Camille.
1: Hi there, my name is Camille, um, and I just want to say a few words about my good friend Kelly here. <laughs> uh, when I heard that we were doing Kaleo stories um, and kind of honoring women, um, I figured I would love to say a little word about Kelly. Um, so, to give a little backstory, um, Kelly was actually my science teacher in high school. Um, I know she doesn't look a day, she looks younger than me, actually, but I mean, it's all right. (laughs) Um, And she um, also taught gospel choir, and so I joined the gospel choir um, when I was just 14 years old, Um, and I really, looking back on it, I realized how much of an impact it had on my life. Um, I was able to experience God for the first time. I never really grew up in church, and so it was pretty impactful to me. Um, And then later on, she asked me to join her band, so I sang background for her for many years. Uh, We had an album, Love, Freedom, Healing. Um, You should check it out. It's on iTunes. It's... (laughs) This is a little promo, you know. Uh, It's Yeah, I mean, I still listen. It's a bop, I'm telling you. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so um, we came out with the album, and um, we've just been friends ever since, kept in touch. I moved here, she moved back, um, that sort of thing. Um, I guess over the years, um, she's just been a wonderful role model, and um, I've just watched her grow in her faith. She's done a lot of deconstructing and reconstructing, which she'll get into next. I'll let her take that. But um, throughout it all, she's just been really real with everything. Um, So... There can be, like, a lot of pressure as a woman and a Christian to uphold perfection, but I think she's never really tried to do any of that. She's just kept it real um, and honest and doesn't try to pretend she knows all the answers. Um, And I realized, you know, through her that the more real you are with people, the more real that makes Jesus to everyone else. Um, And so what else? Sorry. Um, She is now a therapist, so she went from teaching, an artist, and she's now a therapist. She has an LPC. I don't really know what that acronym means, but she, um, she's got credentials. Uh, she, has <laughs> <laughs> she has her own practice. <laughs> um, she even has an employee now. She's just doing it. I'm really proud of her for doing, you know, always kind of having tenacity and setting a goal and doing that. Um, She's always said you're not supposed to therapy your friends, but I know I can call on her if I have any questions or if I need some advice, and she's just a good listener overall. Um, Lastly, I just want to give a shout out to Kaleo for kind of bringing us closer together as friends. Both of us hadn't really gone to church in a few years, so we weren't super close, and um, She asked me to come visit last September. Um, And actually, the first service we came to was a Kaleo Stories service. And so I just really felt at home here. And just like it was very just I just loved it from the beginning. Um, And um, yeah, thank you, Kelly, for being a wonderful role model and friend. (laughs) Thanks, Camille.
0: Camille's got so much love in her heart for her friend Kelly. And now we actually get to hear from that friend Kelly herself, the one with credentials. If you wouldn't mind welcoming up to the stage, Kelly Randon.
2: I got mad credentials. Um, (laughs) Bear with me one second. I've never used a laptop on top of a music stand. Oh, okay. That's Probably smart. Okay, <laughs> all that education, right? Okay, here we go. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey. Smart, brilliant. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Well, thank you, Camille. That was really, really sweet, really beautiful, and I have enjoyed mentoring her and just being a friend. A little, she's like a little sister to me. Um, so that that was really touching. Um. So my story is called, There Must Be More Than This. And it's a story about my own liberation, my own journey. Um, And so hopefully it inspires or connects with some of you tonight. Um, Part one, so there's four parts to it and part one is my childhood. I believe my story of liberation is layered, much like an onion. And I think in each layer is both an element of freedom and healing. And when I say healing, I mean that deep inner work, because at least for me, I don't know about you all, but I don't think I could have true freedom without doing the healing part as well. I believe my story begins with someone else laying down at least part of their freedom for mine, and that person was my grandmother. I was born to two parents who both lived still at home with their parents, being that they were only 19 and 21 at the time. My parents had been dating, but definitely had not planned me. (laughs) So I started to arrive on Super Bowl Sunday, 1981, and came into earth the next day. My mother's parents, who are white and very strict Catholic, had been persuading my mother to give me up for adoption to a Catholic adoption agency because my parents weren't married, and they had a strict rule about that. My father, whose parents are black Pentecostal, said otherwise and so the story goes my father called my grandmother the day i was born scared that they were going to take me away so my grandmother tells my dad don't sign anything i'm coming up there and that was a perfect way to sum up my grandmother's spirit i'm coming for you so my grandmother arrives takes all of us home saves the day and continues to help raise me amongst a myriad of aunts, uncles, and cousins who live close by and whom I adore to this day. My grandmother and grandfather chose to help raise me even though they were older, retired, and probably tired of kids having had seven of their own, and I could not be more grateful for the sacrifices of their freedom that they made for me. As I said, I was raised in a very black, very Pentecostal home. (laughs) For us, this meant going to church a few times a week, plus choir rehearsal. Also, my grandmother started cooking meals for the homeless at church every Saturday, which I sometimes tagged along for. My church community was everything. It's where I learned basic Bible stories, morality, how to sit and be quiet, (laughs) and how to really, really sing for real. It's also where I saw and experienced powerful moves of God's spirit, but also mixed in with the fiery message of hell. As a kid, I was so intrigued with God and spirituality, being a very sensitive and empathic person. I also had a need to please others and wanted so desperately to please God. So when the time came to make the decision to accept Christ at 12 years old, I came forward with all of my heart. A big part of me did this because I was afraid of going to hell. <laughs> I had heard, I've heard lately on several podcasts, stories of folks who have struggled with anxiety in their adulthood due to being traumatized by the exposure to the thought of hell and the rapture at a way too young of an age, when they weren't ready for that kind of exposure. And I think I was one of those kids. <laughs> being a sensitive, like I said, somewhat anxious, perfectionistic, yet loving 12-year-old, I fell deeply in love with God, with the story of redemption, but I also began at this time in my life to fear him with great anxiety. As a teenager, I struggled with trying to understand and balance the idea of God's love for me through Jesus, but also the fact that, as I had been taught, that I could possibly be sent to hell with any small misstep. I was extremely smart, a straight-A student, and so this theology that I was being taught just didn't compute with my logic, but I was too scared to rock the boat, scared of being rejected by God in my community, so I followed and I kept trying to please. So though I was born into a home full of love and acceptance and into a church with solid community and accountability, I was confused, I was scared and anxious because I never knew if I was doing enough to please God. I was freed to a certain extent to live amongst those who loved me, yet another layer of my freedom journey needed to be peeled away. Layer number two, Minnesota. After college, I decided to move to Minnesota thinking I was headed into a medical field, but after working two years in a hospital, I decided I hated it. (laughs) So I went into the only other field that you can go into with a molecular biology degree, and that's teaching. (laughs) <laughs> what else can you do? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I became a high school teacher at a school that I adored, as I'm, as I'm sure Camille has already talked about. I taught choir and I taught science. Um, and it was during this time in my early 20s that I was beginning to shed those layers of anxiety about God. I started attending different types of churches and ended up learning more and more about God's endless love for me. My anxiety about hell started to decrease as I grew more into myself and my own personal connection with God, because life at 25 will make you pray really hard (laughs) and get close to God, especially when you're still trying to find yourself, you're trying to find your career, and you're trying to find your possible mate. As I branched out into my own music and my own ideas about God and ministry, I also started attending white evangelical churches, and here's where it gets interesting. (laughs) At the time, I was completely oblivious to the undercurrents of white supremacy embedded into a lot of the messages I was hearing, especially in regards to faith and prosperity. In many of these churches, I was taught that God wanted me to prosper or to have money, that America was founded by godly men and women, and that prosperity was also my destiny. So, in the words of Jada Pinkett Smith, I became entangled (laughs) with such, (laughs) get it? (laughs) See what I did there? Um, Entangled with such theology, thinking that if I prayed hard enough, God would move. If I said confessions two times a day, God would be inclined to fulfill those confessions. The more I prayed, it seemed the more confused I became because my desires, my prayers, quite frankly, were not being answered. I had not met the husband of my dreams. <laughs> I had not become wealthy. I had not found my dream career, and I was not a famous singer, okay? <laughs> all These were all my confessions to God, right? <clears throat> but because I have my grandmother's fighting spirit, I kept going. I kept believing, kept confessing, until I started realizing my own mental health was taking a toll. At the time, I didn't have words for how I was feeling. Words like depression and burnout weren't part of my vocabulary yet. All I knew is that I wasn't supposed to be this sad. I wasn't supposed to be tired. I wasn't supposed to question God, and I was supposed to keep the faith. So I did. So even though I was less afraid of hell and I was understanding more about God's love, I was also burdened with feeling like I wasn't believing hard enough to see God's promises fulfilled in my life. So another layer needed to be peeled away. I started my counseling degree in 2013, but was still living in this cloudiness of religion, trying so hard to make sense of it all. At the end of 2014, my grandmother passed away and having no family in Minnesota, being at a dead-end job, I decided to move back home here to Phoenix. Back to the beginning, the place where I was brought home from the hospital, the very same home, where I was raised. I stayed at home for a couple of years with my aunt who had taken over the house, finishing up my graduate degree and working. Again, started attending a white evangelical church, which I will keep nameless <laughs> here. Um, <laughs> but was, it was also masked as a place of diversity, keyword masked. Little did I realize at the time that most of the church's diversity could be found in the music department. Donald knows what I'm talking about Um, There was little diversity in the church's leadership But I dove in face first Because of the emotional needs it was meeting for me at the time Worship made me cry It made me feel some type of relief from my own emotional challenges And feel connected to God I also started meeting people who I enjoyed hanging out with So for a time I was somewhat happy Still unfulfilled, still questioning a lot of the theology at my core, but way too afraid to begin considering letting those questions come to the surface. And then Trump runs for president. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Um, Yeah. Suddenly my church became a political hot zone. (laughs) The Arizona Republican Party held a convention there. My white evangelical pastor, who claimed to be an ally for people of color, began subtly praising Trump and his ideals from the pulpit. Simultaneously, I was feeling burnt out as a worship leader, watching the band get paid and the singers having to prove that they were faithful enough to get on the payroll. (laughs) It wasn't about the money to me, but it was about fairness and it was about justice. It was about me not feeling like I was being used or being tokenized to keep up a diversity quota. I was so burnt out and heavy and sad. I dove into worship again as an almost unhealthy coping mechanism, like a drug to help me stay afloat. Slowly, I started to realize how unhealthy I felt and how my emotional health was so connected to my church and how my blackness had been often ignored, and how the needs of my people were so often minimized from leadership. So I left. I started singing at other churches for contract pay until I realized I was also being tokenized at these churches, who, although they would never say it, were also Team Trump, Team Republican, Team America First, Team Build the Wall, Team Stop the Immigrants, Team Prosperity. So when the pandemic hit, I decided to follow suit with the entire world and just stop. And that for me was an amazing decision. It allowed me to just be quiet, to bring up the questions that I had held onto for so long, questions that had been lingering in my soul about God, about Jesus, about the true gospel and about what I really believed. And so another layer was being pulled away So this is my current layer. At this stage of my life, I'll be honest and say, as I'm sure some of you can relate to, I am completely deconstructing my faith, but not without purpose. It had to happen so that I can rebuild a theology that's healthy and makes sense to me as a black mixed-race woman in America. I have to build a theology that is safe for me to live in, one that values my ethnicity and does not devalue another's. I have to build a theology that has a foundation of love first and that is not afraid to question anything else that is not love. I am grateful for this space, for this church, for the leadership at Kaleo that have allowed me to bring all of my questions, my doubts, my needs as a black person burnt out by white evangelical theology to just be. And one thing that I have realized through this whole process of unlayering and becoming free and healing is that God has really been with me through it all. I have felt him here in this process. And if I question everything else about him, one thing I know to be true is that he is here. So when I question the existence of hell, God is with me. When I wonder about certain decisions that I've made in life, God is with me. When I question whether or not God resides in white evangelical systems, God is with me. When I wonder what is literal in the Bible and what is not, God is with me. When worship music doesn't cut it for me anymore and I decide to boycott Hillsong, God is with me. (laughs) I mean, let's keep it real. (laughs) Um, That's where I'm at. (laughs) When I wonder if my singleness comes from me spending most of my young adulthood in white systems, God is with me. When confusion seems to get the best of me, I always feel that I am not lost. I am still found and that God is with me. Through every layer, whether it's painful or not, God has and truly is still with me. And that's my story of freedom.
0: Give it up for Kelly one more time. Thank you, Kelly. Kelly with credentials, (laughs) that's your new name, (laughs) oh man, (laughs) so at this time I'm actually going to take a moment and read a children's storybook um, called The Year We Learned to Fly by Jacqueline Woodson and illustrated by Rafael Lopez. In this story, we will celebrate the extraordinary ability to lift ourselves up and imagine a better world through imagination, a free world. Using the skill of imagination and reflection, in this story, a grandmother tells her grandchildren how to hearken back to the days long before they were born, when their ancestors showed the world the strength and resilience of their beautiful and brilliant minds. If, if you are a child or a guardian, you can come up, and I'm going to read the story now. The pictures will be on the screen as well. This is kind of fun. Hi. <laughs> the year we learned to fly. That was the year we learned to fly. That was the spring when the rain seemed like it would never stop, and the thunder boomed so hard we weren't allowed to go outside. Use those beautiful and brilliant minds of yours, my grandmother said. Lift your arms, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and believe in a thing. Somebody somewhere at some point was just as bored as you are now. So my brother and I closed our eyes, and for a few minutes that first day, we weren't stuck in our apartment anymore. We were flying over the city we'd known our whole lives, but it was suddenly different, exploding with every kind of flower we'd ever dreamed of growing. That was the summer we learned to fly, when my brother and I couldn't stop fussing with each other over whose turn it was to wash the windows, to feed the dog, to clean the kitchen. So we fought and frowned and made silent promises to never speak to each other ever again. Have you ever done that? My grandmother said lift your arms, close your eyes, and take a deep breath. And stop being so mean about everything. Somebody somewhere at some point was just as mad as you are now. So we did. And as the soft wind took us out over the city and past the windows of kids who hadn't yet learned to fly, my brother and I reached for each other's hand, flying and diving and laughing and leaving all our mad far behind us. That was the autumn. Our rooms felt too big and lonely with only us in them and the darkness coming on so fast. But while we hugged ourselves against the too quiet of it all, we remembered that we didn't have to be stuck anywhere anymore. My grandmother had learned to fly from the people who came before. They were aunts and uncles and cousins who were brought here on huge ships. Their wrists and ankles cuffed in iron. But my grandmother said, nobody can ever cuff you're beautiful and brilliant mind. So our people learned to fly, she said. They dreamed of a thing and made it happen. Closed their eyes and flew away home. Lift your arms, my grandmother said. Close your eyes and remember somebody somewhere at some point had to figure out they could fly. That was the winter we moved away from the building and the block and the friends we'd always known. To a street where the kids looked at us funny and didn't even answer when we asked them if they wanted to play. It's okay, I said to my brother. Somebody somewhere at some point had to figure out that they were ready for any new thing coming their way. So like the people who came before us, we lifted our arms even higher, closed our eyes even tighter, breathed in even deeper, and flew the way we'd always known how to, free as the aunties and uncles and cousins who'd come before us, free as our own beautiful and brilliant minds. For a long time, the kids on the ground watched us, Then, one by one, they lifted their arms. One by one, they, too, learned to fly. That's it. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) All right. Well, this time, we're going to take a five-minute intermission, play a little bit of music, get you guys up. You can go to the bathroom. You can talk to some of the storytellers. You can talk amongst yourselves about the way the stories have impacted you. And we'll be back in five minutes. Hope you guys enjoyed that intermission, getting to know one another a little bit more. Well, our next story of the evening is called "The Freedom of Being" by J.J. Spritzer. Did I say your last name right? Spritzer, 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 Spritzer. 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 I should have waited. Every time I'm like, I'm going to practice this, I'm gonna pra-, and then I don't, and then that happens. I apologize. Welcome, JJ, one more time, please. She's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um,
3: before I get started, Kelly, I am you. You are me. I promise you guys, when you hear my story, literally, I'm sitting back there going, no, she didn't just say that. that Lord, why did she just say that? I, ooh. I, just confirmation. Oh, but this is what I'll say. This is coming from my pentecostal background somebody in here needs to hear it again because you didn't get it the first time so i'm gonna I'm a repeat it because if you've never read the bible it says it once twice three times and watch out all right i am jj i am a recovering good church girl do i have any fellow church kids in here tonight i'm gonna put you to the test god is good there we go it's church we're I'd like to start with how I became a good church girl. I went to an elementary school in San Fernando Valley. That's the L.A. area for those who are not familiar with California. Uh, My crew in school, we had one Catholic, one Jewish, one Hindu, one, oh no, we don't go to church, and one me, Pentecostal Christian Assemblies of God, and we didn't think anything of it. And surprisingly, neither did our parents. We had sleepovers together. We went to birthday parties together. We even celebrated religious holidays with them. Our parents didn't care. My good church girl, though, started when my parents married and we moved to the Bible Belt, Missouri. Some of it like to call it the buckle of the Bible Belt. There I experienced for the first time that you are either Christian or you're going to hell. But, um, yeah, it was, it was different for me. It was very different. All the families in the neighborhood went to church. Not the same church, but everybody went to church, or at least they said they did. It was what I like to call the hellfire and brimstone error in the history of church. <laughs> um, the only time grace was really talked about was when we sang Amazing Grace uh, during the altar call. For all the heathens to come up and be saved. Uh, I probably heard more about hell than I did heaven. And we sang the Winans tomorrow. Okay. So uh, uh, tomorrow who promised you tomorrow better choose the Lord today (laughs) for tomorrow very well might be too late. Yeah, we sang that for our Christmas pageant. Nothing says happy holidays, like don't be late. (laughs) Oh, but the Sunday school anthem, this is how they taught us memory verses. Revelations, revelations, 21-8, 21-8. Liars go to hell, liars go to hell. Burn, 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 burn. I'm not kidding, I'm not literally. So you know, when I was a kid, Every time they said, Do you want Jesus? I needed to make sure, Yes. Not sure I got him. I'm pretty sure I lied to my mom about something. We got saved every week. But I was blessed that at home it was all about Jesus and his power, not fear and damnation. So my good church girl journey began with fear and trembling. I memorized my memory verses. I went to church every Sunday. I read my Bible every night. My shorts were never too short. Makeup and nails either never or just very plain. Got good grades, did my homework, smile always. The journey had nothing to do with Jesus, but all about escaping hell, and if I'm really honest, being accepted by others and my community. I wasn't a difficult kid. I pretty much did what I was told. What my parents told me was good what the church told me was good what society told me was good graduated high school early went to college got a career that paid me very well in society's eyes it appeared i was living the good life i was an on-air personality for a radio station and i went to all the concerts they sent me on trips to award shows i interviewed tons of celebrities some who are still celebrities and now make me a cool mom when i show my kids, the pictures of like me and Beyonce. One year Usher sang me, Happy Birthday. Right? I know like look, look all the ladies like, ooh, Usher, Usher, yep, ladies, Usher. He even signed the microphone that he sang it to me with. I know, I was living the life, wasn't I? I was living the life. And it was about that time that I said to myself, hmm, this is it. This is it. I did all I was supposed to do and this is it. The society standards were hollow. The church rules were exhausting. And here I was, according to society, living the good life. But both church and society standards were unfulfilling and left me tired and empty. Still doing what I always did though. I went to church one Sunday and I heard something I had never heard before. Now, it was Missionary Sunday, so us church kids can already close our eyes and visualize what that looks like, right? Sanctuaries decorated with all the flags from the different countries. And a missionary comes up and speaks about doing God's work in whichever country with whatever people group it is, but never the USA. They throw out baptism numbers, conversion numbers, and then ask for support. This time was different, though. This time was different. This missionary was different. She was Indian and a missionary to her country, India. That got my attention. She gave her testimony about using athletics to help her family up in, come up in the caste system. And then she gave all that up to follow Jesus, and she became a nun. She gave it up for real. She became a nun. <laughs> she became a nun. I mean, you know. I was a church kid. I could still sneak the radio on and listen to the devil's music. She gave it up for real. She became a nun. And she felt like a good church woman, a good nun. She was a good nun. Until Mother Teresa told her that God wanted more for her. Not once, but three times. Now, most nuns never got to meet, let alone speak to Mother Teresa. And she was scolded three times on three different encounters. Now, after the third, she was angry and did something she had never done before. She went into her little room, and she yelled at God, What do you want? I've given up everything to follow you. What do you want? That got my attention. Not just the yelling at God part but the actually asking what he wanted. I knew what my parents wanted. I knew what the church wanted. I even knew how to bend and weave with what society wanted. But I didn't really know what God wanted. So that day began my undoing and I answered the altar call and prayed with an elder at church. But that night, I got on my knees, because some church kid habits are hard to break. And I asked Jesus, what do you want? Now, I wish I could say that something unbelievable happened. Like, I wish I could say, like, you know, I had a vision, and and the drawers started talking to me, or, you know, something. But no, none of that. What did happen that night was freedom and peace. Freedom to just be. As I began the journey to know Jesus, some things I was still doing, I still read my Bible. I still went to church. I journaled. But I wasn't doing to be anymore. I was doing to learn, to understand, to grow. And during that time... For the first time, I experienced the freedom to just be, to just be loved, to just be known, to just be redeemed, to just be accepted, to just be restored, to just be rescued, to just be renewed, all while still just being broken. I learned to allow others to be also. I had a greater understanding of psalms, especially the angry, demanding one, which is 90% of them. I mean, So I'm going to do this little. This is the church girl psalm, 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long am I to feel anxious in my soul with grief in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. That's a New American Standard version, because, you know, good church girls read either King James or New American Standard. (laughs) But then, as I stopped doing and started being, I really enjoyed the message interpretation. Now, I wouldn't suggest the message as a study guide, (laughs) but... It sure was a lot more fun. It sure was a lot more fun. And so today I stand here in freedom of being JJ, the disciple of Jesus.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, JJ. That's awesome. And now, our last story of the evening um, is Brici. But before I bring her up, she's a guest in our community tonight, in this space tonight. Uh, just to let you know, my first encounter with her, um, way back when, my old roommate Raven, short, if some of you guys remember her, um, before she went to Texas, Emma Totalo. Hosted a dinner for Raven um, and Bree is a, one of the roommates, so she was also there, and so I got a chance to share a table with her and to experience her presence. And I don't know a whole lot about her story, but I've always been told that she has an amazing story, and so I wanted to um, invite her here tonight. And so tonight she's sharing a story called "Freedom to a New Life" by Bree Chi. Would you welcome Bree to the stage?
4: ae hello. that means yae means hello in navajo yae she ya bri chi ye ne she twots on ni denen shlo hanara nit e bashishchin ezehla ne da she che e da shinale awat aw e de nest sa Good evening. Hello, my name is Bree. I am of the Big Water clan, born for the one who walks around. My maternal grandfathers are the mini goats, and my paternal grandfathers are the tangled ones. That is how I identify myself as a Navajo woman. (laughs) Welcome. Before we get started, I would like to just take a brief moment to recognize and honor the people of the original landowners of the land that we're currently standing on and this building is built on, which is day four. There are 22 federally um, recognized tribes of Arizona, but over 200 nationally known tribes across the country. And the four tribes that I would like to recognize here in the Maricopa County area is the Fort McDowell Yavapai Nation, the Gila River Indian Community, the Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian Community, and the Tohota Odom Nation. And that's the original landowners before the colonizers came, before the Trump rally people that want to make America great because America was already great before they came. Okay, so... Um, As the sign says, freedom to a new life. I grew up on the Navajo Reservation. Um, No electricity, no running water on the ground floor. Um, Single parent, was helped raised by my grandparents. Um, Was forced to go to boarding school by the federal government. Was driven out of our home. Um, because of land, partition, land. So I grew up there in provish communities. And a lot of my people are still living in poverty, in conditions, really bad conditions. Some still don't even have electricity. Some still don't have running water. And so when you had mentioned mission trips overseas, there's missions that need to be done here. So growing up as a Native American, traditionalist culture ceremonies spirituality that was what I was raised with as I, the minute I came out of the womb I was raised to do different things how to prepare how to survive be in survival mode and I was always told that's the white man's religion don't become a christian That's not your religion. That's not made for you. You have a voice. You have a creator. Nizad Hulon, you have your own creator. Don't become a Christian. That wasn't made for you. It's what I was told by my grandmother. And so I took that to heart. I took that to heart. And through all of my life, up until I was 17, I lost my mom to a car accident and my life changed. Dropped out of high school and didn't know what to do. My world went upside down and my grandparents stepped up. And I remember the day my mom passed away and I had to break the news to them. And the words, I've never seen my grandfather cry until that day, and my grandmother's words were, meaning, translation, it is a sad day that has happened to you kids. It's like being abandoned out in the middle of nowhere with no shelter, with nothing left. And so she took us under her wing to continue to raise me and my sisters. I have four siblings. And up until they left for the next world, Ya'ash, which was called heaven, um, I was able to and blessed to be raised by them. I got to learn how to cook Navajo food and Navajo prayers, and, and just that was instilled in me traditional jewelry that I was able to inherit. And so after they left, jumping ahead. Um, Managed to go back to high school, managed to go get a little bit of college degree, not a full degree, but go back to school. Got a good job and just bottling everything in, bottling everything in and um, not grieving because we've always been in survival mode. I've always been in survival mode, even way back then. That's what my parents and my grandparents and their parents before colonization, we roamed with neighboring tribes. Yes, there was confl- confrontation, but it wasn't as bad as it is now or even in the, 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 early the early 1900s. And so now it's like been the 30s, 40s, and 50s. It's survival mode. So that's what it's instilled in me. So everything is bottled up, everything choking, just taking it all in. And so at one point, I just, just had a bre- breaking point and um, got a good job. My job moved me from Flaxstack to, to Phoenix. And um, I bought my ho- first house all on my own. Didn't realize that I had a 401. N- most Native Americans don't know what 401 means or what it is unless the the urban navajos or natives. And so I didn't realize I had a 401. So I withdrew that and was able to buy myself a house, a car. I had a nice job and I was thought I thought I was living the world. I thought I was living, I thought I had everything I like what else could I need? And so I was like where else would I what else could I do? And I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know God, but I knew of them through cultural things and ceremonies. Um, and so I knew of them. I have some relatives that have converted to Christianity. And so, but I didn't have a relationship. I didn't know much of it. I've always talked very negative about them because I was told it's not your religion. It's not, who, that's not for you. So I would always criticize. So... The things that I was bottling up inside of me burst. I became an alcoholic. I became a cocaine user. How I managed to stay afloat with my job and not lose it I give him credit for it. I may have lost my home and I've lost some material things, but I still have my life. And I... Got a, because of the, the way I chose to live that short period of my life, I ended up in the hospital with a heart attack. And the last thing I remember was getting to the ER and the nurse telling my sister she's having an active heart attack, we have to take her back. And the bed just falling back and all I could see was the light and just going one right after another. That was the last thing I remember. I woke up a day later in the ICU with a neck brace, like a suit, and I couldn't move apparently for 24 hours because I just had surgery. And so I made it through, and so two nights later, and mind you, I'm still high on cocaine, and I'm still a little drunk, And all of this has happened, so the doctor comes in, gives me the whole spiel, like, you need to quit drinking, quit doing drugs, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm hallucinating, and I'm detoxing at the same time. And they're still giving me morphine and medication, so it's, like, all intertwined. So I see my mom, I see my grandmother, my grandfather, Aunts, uncles, cousins that have gone before me, my great-great-grandmother. I can see them visualizing them. And they're telling me, come on, let's go, let's go. And you know, you know how most horror movies, and I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, The Heels Have Eyes. So I could like their their faces would would be normal like ours, and it would just turn to that deformed. And, and so, um, as they were getting closer, that's what, that's, their faces would turn that way. And so I was, I would scream and yell and the nurses would come in. And so I was going through that process and I'm like praying to, in my native tongue, praying to our holy ones, our holy people. We're praying to the sacred mountains, praying to the seasons, praying to um, our animals, praying to nature um, to help me to to get better. And it wasn't working. And I'm like, what is going on? And then somewhere, somehow, God popped in my mind. And I was just like, okay, if you are real and they say you are, help me. Help me. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. And somebody from the door, the hospital, the room, into my room, appeared in white, literally, and gave me a vision and said, let's go. And so we walked out into the hall, and I can hear music. And you know how when you go to a funeral— They had that soft music playing, and I can see people seated. I can see my sister, my nieces, and people are coming in, and they're saying, oh, we're going to miss her. She was a wonderful person, and um, they were there for my funeral. And so we walk closer, and I see myself in a casket. I see myself laying there. And I see my family, my friends, people that I have met throughout my whole life there and crying and celebrating. And I'm like, I'm right here. Can't you see me? I'm right here. I'm not gone yet. I'm still right here. But they couldn't see me or hear me because it was a vision. And so then we got back into my room and... In front of me, he laid out the alcohol, drugs, bar, party life, bad things. And on this side was like the green pasture, beautiful, flowers, a good life. And he's like, okay, Brie, the choice is yours. What do you choose? Do you want to continue the, the same path that you were on and go that route? which I showed you where it's gonna lead you to, or do you want to come with me and we can explore together and see something new and different? At that point, me detoxing and hallucinating, and I said, okay, let's go, take me. And I promise, if you heal me, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And a split second turned the light on and off, it all went away, went away, I have been sober for six years. No rehab, no counseling, no medication. He wiped that and took that taste out of my mouth. And I tested it. So the following year, I went to a Christmas party and had half a bottle of wine with some friends, and I was sick for seven days. And at that point, I'm like, never again. So I know there's a real God, and he's a good God, and he's an awesome God. And I'm glad that I chose to follow him because he has given me a new life, a new life that is unbelievable, a new family, a new community, a new church. And I'm in my immediate family, I am the only believer. And it is hard. And like you were saying, a, I can relate to your story when you said that you were part of the conservative white, predominantly white church. I'm in that position right now. I have not been to my church in over six months. I'm, I watch it online. I choose not to attend in person because of similar thoughts and things that I'm going through in your shoe. And I'm just like, where, where's the multi cultural, the multi-ethnic in this, and so it, it hurts, and it just, especially being Native American, the true original landowner of the continent of the United States, and I love that church. I love the community there, but it just hurts. Knowing that that was my first mission trip, my first baptism, my first family, it just, it's like, I don't know, and so I ask God, like, where do I go now? What do I do? I want to continue, but what's the next step? And Psalms 23, I've only read them at funerals on the flyer. But now that I read it as a Christian, it has so much more meaning to me than ever before. Salvation. Also, my favorite verse is Psalm 103, uh, 103, 1 through 5. He pulled me from the pits of hell and crowned me with compassion and love. He literally pulled me from that barrel and crowned me as his child, his love. And Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things with his strength. He gives me the strength. And then also Revelation 7, 9, not your song, But every tongue, every nation will be in heaven with us. I am a child of God. We are children of God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, thank you.
0: so much, Bree. Wow. What an honor to have a space to hold such a sacred story. And we honor your people and and your heritage. Before we sing this song, I didn't say that I was going to do this, but I just want to read a prayer to us as we reflect on all the stories that we've heard. And even as we reflect on the stories that God is speaking to us about our own life. It reads, the spirit of life and love, holy one of our being and our becoming, that which is sacred within, among, and beyond us. We know so many stories about you, God, Lord, King, Father, Earth, Mother, Great Spirit, Universe, Holy Parent, Divine Love, Deepest Longings, Covenanted Partner. We know stories about our country and its founding, too of the values we claim as a people. We have stories about those narratives, about how our values have and have not manifested in our reality. Blessed one, we also know so many stories about ourselves, some of them the same stories we tell about others, beautiful, ugly, simple, difficult, joyous, useful, worthless. Stories about who we are, what we know, and the potentials and impossibilities of our future. Stories about our purpose and the meaning of our lives. We have countless stories buried too deep in our souls for us to even recognize them at times. But God of discovery, help us find the strength to excavate those buried stories. Let us lean on one another as we brush them off, hold them up to the light, and find their meaning and use. And may our roots nourish us, so that we might grow abundantly and flower into blessing for one another and the world. Above all, holy parent, sing us a gentle lullaby, and the trees and the wind and the kind words of our neighbors In the warmth of the sun and the sparkle of the snow, whisper to us the truest story you know and sing it to us in notes we can never unhear. Remind us every day, every moment, that we are beloved, beloved, beloved. Amen. 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 For more resources or information about Kaleo, Please visit our website at KaleoPHX.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.